Welcome to the Conscious Being Podcast. Conscious Being is a medium publication started by me, Elizabeth Wright, to promote disabled women's voices. Disabled women are some of the most underrepresented people in society, and my mission is to change this. To have a truly inclusive world, we need to acknowledge and learn from these absolutely amazing women. On this podcast, we will be interviewing women of all ages, backgrounds, and disabilities, going in deep with issues that these women face and how they imagine a more inclusive world could be. So join us on this journey, be challenged, learn, and grow. Here we go. the Conscious Being podcast, where we have discussions with disabled women of all ages and explore who they are, what they do, and what makes them tick. Along the way, we will smash stereotypes, challenge ableism, and create a new vision and narrative of what disability is. Today, we have the absolutely wonderful Amanda as our guest on the podcast. Hi, Amanda. Hi there. <laughs> Thank you so much for... for um, offering yourself up to being a guest on the Conscious Being podcast. We're very excited to, to have you here. It's my pleasure. Good, good, good. So I'm just going to launch straight into the first, very first question, which is essentially handing the reins over to you. Um, who is Amanda? Oh, that's a pretty complex question, really. <laughs> um, well, who I am today is I'm um, 58 years old. I run my own community interest company with my business partner, who also happens to be my husband, um, called Pandora Inc. Kick, which stands for promoting achievement, nurturing diversity, and openly respecting ability. It does. It does spell Pandora. I promise. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> it really does. Honestly, it took me ages to think it up. Uh, and basically what the what we do is we work with people who are often on the margins of society so it can be any any individual or group at any given time really depending on what's trending so we've done a lot of work with women lots of work with women with disabilities um, people with disabilities mm -hmm. lots of work with uh, Syrian refugees in particular um, it, but but again, as I say, it can be any particular individual at any given time. You know how these trends go up and down. Yeah. Um, and what we what we focus on, our, our core business is to focus on helping them um, carve out their identity, look at their potential, and and give them a plan for moving forward with what they want to do. Yeah. Um, certainly for people with disabilities, I found that often. They're not used to being asked, what do you think? What, yeah. what would you like to do? And so on and so forth. Um, I can remember when I was um, very young, I, I certainly wasn't used to being asked that. Mm. So um, I, I kind of created this, um, this syndrome called, I call it the China doll syndrome, where, you know, pe people treat us as very passive, which I'm definitely not, and you yeah. don't get angry either. <laughs> Um, but very passive, very, you know, people do unto us rather than we make active decisions. And I want to change all that. 
Well, it's, it's that autonomy, isn't it? I think, I think it's one thing that so many um, well, disabled people in general, let alone, um, you know, just disabled women, it's, it's that sense of having control over your own destiny and your own body and your own mind. And, Absolutely. And, yeah, and being, and being given permission to, to just be you in this world. Well, I, I have finally got to the ripe old age of 58 and decided I don't need anybody's permission to do anything. <laughs> Good. I think it's something that happens with age, doesn't it? It's like I turned I, 40 last year and I'm definitely feeling a lot more confident in myself <laughs> to just be oh, who well, I that's, am. That's great. I, I mean, I think my children would um, prefer, they, they kind of raise an eyebrow when I'm going out or I'm doing a <laughs> podcast or I'm spe you know, speaking to, to a conference or something. They're kind yeah. of like, where are you going? What time will you be back? And I have to go, excuse me. I'm the parent, you're the child. That's yeah. the wrong way around for that conversation. Um, but they're all, young, they're all young adults as well, and they understand what I'm doing, so, which is great. Which is, it, well, it's brilliant. I think it, it's certainly one thing um, I think that's so important to, to all of us and actually um, in supporting that, that desire to have autonomy and whatnot is to have that support of family, whether it is parents, siblings, um, extended family, spouses, partners, children, whatever that, that kind of family unit looks like for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's what I do. Yeah. Um, I'm a mum, obviously. Yeah. I, I have spina bifida and hydrocephalus. So um, up until I was 45, I could walk. I used to go mm. to the gym five times a week. And then I had a huge hydrocephalic incident. And the only reason I'm mentioning it is because it had a huge impact on my life uh, in terms of the fact that the life-saving surgery um, meant that I couldn't walk anymore and I have no short-term memory, which makes things a little tricky, as you've just <laughs> discovered before we started. Well, that I mean, mind you, I should tell the listeners what happened. And it was my <laughs> fault, to be fair. But now that I know this, I do apologise, Amanda, <laughs> I probably okay. the hell out of you. Um, <laughs> but listeners, just, just for clarity, um, I set up this Zoom link to record this podcast and I told Amanda that I'd set it up for 2.30 when in actual fact I'd set it up for 3. So I was confusing not just myself but also Amanda. I do apologise profusely. No problem at all. I Because of the memory thing, I spend a great deal of my life in total confusion. So I'm kind of used to it really. Yeah, it just made me smile. It was someone else's fault, not mine. Good, good. Yes. Well, it, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I can't um, uh, purport to ha to being able to understand your lived experience with your disability at all. But you know, I certainly the the past few weeks as life has definitely changed a lot for me in the past few weeks with the editorship with with Disability Review Magazine and um, and you know, starting this podcast and everything. I've certainly felt. A lot of confusion. The past oh, I, I, I can totally understand that. I too wear several different hats, and some some days it, it's kind of like, what am I supposed to be doing when? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can remember when I was a probation officer, and I, um, you know, they they really stack them high, and I would have like eight offenders to see in a day, and by the end of the day, I was kind of like, okay, who is this person? What have they done? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like that on those very busy days. I do get it. Wow. So you were a probation officer? I was a senior probation officer. Wow. What what must have that been like for you as, as not only a, well, a woman, but a disabled woman as well? Well, 
uh, basically, if I give you a bit of context, I um, when I was a moody teenager, I wanted to be a teacher, and my parents and my careers advisor um, all said, "Oh God, no! You can't possibly do that. It's too physical." And I was like, "Well, I don't want to be a PE teacher. Yeah. I wanted to teach English and drama." You know, so um, so they said, no, 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 you're too delicate for that. This is where the China doll thing comes oh, from. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so I said, okay, then I want to be a social worker instead. And they were like, no, no, that's even worse. No, no, you're, you know, that's very dangerous. You, you're, you're not doing that. And um, yeah, my careers advisor told me to do basket weaving or flower arranging. Oh, jeez, yeah. And I was doing no, A-levels in English, French and history at the time. <laughs> and I, I in my way I was 16 and and when they told me that I just thought you know what that's wrong if I'm gonna fail I'm gonna fail my way so yeah, I yeah. applied to go to um, London and I went to London um, to do my degree in applied social studies and got my social work qualification at the same time I um, did my placements in Kings Cross Hackney and Tower Hamlets so the most deprived areas you could possibly do them in. Yeah, yeah. Because I, by then I was feeling very bolshy and that people were trying to hold me back. Yeah. Um, they would call it protection. I called it holding me back. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, but, so I started off as a social worker. Then I worked my way through the management structure. So I've worked, I've, I came to Milton Keynes when I qualified um, and bought my own house and so on and so forth. Um, and I worked in Milton Keynes for, all. Oh, nine ten years and then i i moved to northampton and then uh, northamptonshire sorry and then oxfordshire getting promotion both times because there's no reason to move otherwise yeah um, and then uh, after i've done that for but the higher higher up the ladder you go the less people you see oh okay and i love people yeah so, and i hate paperwork i don't know about you yeah. but i really hate <laughs> paperwork. that so I was kind of like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, uh, I'm uh, you know, I'm not seeing the people I want to see and so on. So um, an opportunity came up to be the placement coordinator on the diploma in social work at De Montford University, which had a base at Milton Keynes at the time. And I thought it, it was taking me two hours each way to get to Oxford then, which wow. was in the 1990s. And um, 19, yeah, ni yeah, 1990s. <laughs> And um, so I um, applied and to my surprise got it. So I did some lecturing in child protection, which was my thing mm -hmm. then, um, which I'd spent most of my career doing. Um, and what else did I like? Oh, I did a, a, a module of my own in youth justice because I was really interested in teenagers. I was the first social worker for adolescents in Milton Keynes. Oh, wow. And then I got pregnant. Ah, I've never been very good at timing. No, but never mind. No. So I did that for a few, so I worked at the university for a few years, and to be honest, I loved the bits with the students, but again, I hated the paperwork. Yeah. Um. So then I thought, oh, I know what, I'll go and be a probation officer instead. So I did, <laughs> and ended oh, up being, why the hell in not? Teams, and I ended up being a senior probation officer responsible for a team, and I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, I took voluntary redundancy because, um, I wanted to help my husband home educate our youngest son. 
long story about that, which is for another time. But yeah. um, so I, I left there and then a friend said to me, oh, come and work at the Disability Resource Centre as a, as a training coordinator. And I wasn't that keen, but mm. I thought, oh, well, they work with disabled people. They must kind of be in the know, you know? Yeah. Well, I won't have to explain everything. How wrong was that? <laughs> it was the worst nine months of my entire <laughs> life. So, but, but what it did make me think, because I'm an eternal optimist, it did make me think, oh, if they can do it like this, I'm sure I can do it better. And mm. so Pandora was born. Brilliant. I love that yeah. story about <laughs> how you got to where you are now, which is just absolutely amazing. What a journey. Um, yeah, it has been. Definitely. So like in that sense, kind of in light of your journey and the life, you know, kind of where you are now in life and stuff like that, what, what does disability mean to you? And, and do you even identify with the term disability? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a heavy oh, question. I'm, no, 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 not at all. I, I'm just trying to think of the simplest way to answer it. Um, <laughs> the most until I was 11, I didn't even realise that having a disability could be a negative thing. Mm. So I guess I was just very spoiled and the centre of attention and so on and so forth. And then because of I had uh, nine operations in six months, also life-saving ones, um, yeah. all to do with hydrocephalus, which is far worse than the spina bifida thing, mm. um, I, uh, I was told I had to go to special school. Well, there was nothing special about it. I don't know if you went to special school, but I hated it. Yeah, no, um, I was. Um, my parents really, um, the the New South Wales Education Department really wanted to send me to a special school, but um, my parents really fought tooth and nail to get me into mainstream. Well done for them. I've been to mainstream beforehand, but when I was eleven, so it was mm. secondary school that I was um, mm. in. But I did what lots of adolescents do dare i say it i played truant for a number of years yeah. <laughs> and because daddy was a bank manager i never got into trouble ah uh, okay so it's not what you know it's who you know exactly <laughs> um uh and then i um and then when i reached 16 which was the period i just told you about where i thought mm. no this is wrong um i went to college to do my a levels but it was back to mainstream college yeah, uh, yeah and obviously the college in london was also mainstream um so so I, as as someone who kind of you know you'd grown up not thinking of disability as as a negative thing did did going to a special school change that perception for yeah you? yeah it did i i actually and i'm kind of ashamed of this now but i actually felt like i would i'd walked into a school for freaks Mm. there were wheelchairs everywhere and people looked different and and the attitude encouraged you to think you were different in a very bad way yeah. kind of thing and the other thing it did um when i came out the other end it made me think that um all men were gods and trust me guys you aren't <laughs> hear that any of um, our listeners out there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no offence, but trust me, you are not gods. Um, but but because it was an all-girls school and and so on and so on, and there were actual physical fights when we started to go co-educational. Wow. You know, okay. Yeah. Over boys, it got very vicious. So um, I found that a very damaging experience, to be honest. 
yeah do you do, have you found that as you've gotten older that you you've kind of you do identify or or feel more affinity with the term disability or, or did you yes, I, 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 change your mind I, I often get people say to me once when they've known me for a long time people will and they think it's a compliment mm. they often say to me oh we don't think of you as disabled mm. so yeah. and my response is always okay I know you mean that well but actually, if you don't see me as disabled, you're ignoring a whole part of my life experience that yeah, exactly. made who I am. Yeah, exactly. So um, you need to embrace it, not ignore it. Well, it's a bit like, um, um, gosh, I think Melissa's probably know this inside out already, but um, I, I think, because I think I mentioned my housemate a lot, um, but my, my housemate Anne, she's British Indian, and we've had, we've had a lot of discussions about the kind of touch points between the, the experience of disability and the experience of, of race and ethnicity and yeah. um, how that plays out. And, and like she says, you know, for, for a lot of black and brown people, it's actually quite offensive to be told that, well, I don't see colour or I don't see your colour. And I think it is very similar for us in the disability community. It's like you, you're taking, you're ignoring a very key part of who we actually are. Well, it makes up so much of our life experience because it touches everything we do. Yeah, it does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because of the way people think about us in part, yeah. but also partly because of the way um, we are expected to live our lives, which clearly yeah. you and I have broken straight out of that mould. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not doing anything we were supposed to do, but um, I'm glad. Yeah. Well, it's 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 true certainly like kind of going back to what you were saying you know about the careers advice and that that you were getting I, I remember being in year 10 and and um I went to a mainstream high school like secondary school as well and um and I remember going to you know we all had to go to the careers counsellor um in year 10 and I was sitting there going well I want to do this and maybe I want to do this when I leave school and yeah, I, I honestly don't think the careers counsellor knew what to say, but he certainly put me off some of the career choices I put forward about what I wanted to do. But he really had no response or suggestion as to what I should do because I think for him he was he was probably like, well, you have a disability. I don't think you can do any of these jobs. But it's that very limited way of thinking that Absolutely. sadly I think, you know, it still exists today. Yes, it does. Oh, it really does. It really does. I mean, uh, you know, having having been told I couldn't be a teacher and I couldn't be a social worker, as I said, I got my degree and my social work qualification. And later on in the 90s, I also got a teaching qualification. Yeah, yeah. So anybody tells me you can't do, I immediately think of a way I can do. And it, it, it is, it's, it's absolutely possible. And I think um, you know, definitely all kudos to, to companies and organisations out there that are, are actively employing disabled people and understanding that we do have potential and capability and that we can achieve things. And, you, you know, because I think as, you know, you kind of mentioned before we started um, the, the chat for the podcast about role models for younger people. And I think yes. it's certainly, I mean, I'll let you kind of um, talk about that in a second, but it's kind of that thing that I think, you know, we have to really step up and, and show that this is possible, but also challenge 
these kind of negative beliefs out there, especially in the workplace, because one of my biggest worries um, is for young children with disabilities and the world that they're going to face, because quite frankly, I don't think the world has, has changed that much since I was a child. Uh, and I don't think it's changed uh, much since I was a child either. And therefore, I think people like you and me have a responsibility to the, as you say, the younger generations to say, actually, cooey, here we are. We've done it. We've made it. Mm. We lived our lives the way we wanted to live them, despite yeah. the obstacles. Um, yeah. Because they don't have that many role models. I mean, no. I, don't know about, I don't know about you, but the other thing I was always pushed into at school, um, special school, was mm. sport. Yeah. And I seriously <laughs> am not interested in sport at all i was all english and drama and creative writing and all that stuff yeah so, I, I mean i mean certainly for me with my experience you know um i obviously i, I did go to the paralympics i went to yep. two paralympic games and i loved swimming um but in general and i think I think for a lot of people, they, they make that assumption that I'm a very sporty person. But yeah. in actual fact, I'm not really. Yeah. It's like I love sport. I love, or I love swimming rather. Um, and I love watching certain sports, but I'm not someone who's kind of constantly actively seeking out to have a sporting experience. Oh, you and I are very similar in that way. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and I think, you know, it's interesting because I did um I was a I was a guest on um the uh, what was it called? Challenging Behaviour Podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, the other day, and we actually spoke about, so Netflix has recently bought out um, a documentary called Rising Phoenix, which is about the Paralympics. Yeah. And, um, and it's a really good documentary and I really recommend that people watch it. Um, but the discussion I had with, with Jack and Tom as a guest on their podcast um, was certainly about what happened around um, the London Paralympic Games and this idea of the superhuman. And we really discussed about how at the same time as the, the London Paralympics were happening, there was also this rhetoric being driven home by the, the government, by politicians about disability um, and being scroungers. And it almost became like this thing of like, you're either one or the other. You're either this superhuman elite sports person or you're an absolute lazy scrounger. And um, I, I can understand why a lot of people in the disability community were really upset with this term superhuman. Um, and, you know, I heard so many stories of people being approached on the street saying, well, why don't you go be a Paralympian? And it's like, well, hang on a second. Disabled people are human beings just like everyone else. And some are going to love sport and be really interested in it and want to pursue it. And others will have no interest in it whatsoever. It's not like you walk up to a non-disabled person on the street and say, why don't you go be an Olympian? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and actually, uh, from my point of view, I, I've raised three children to adulthood, including their teenage years, and I didn't kill anyone. I think yeah. that makes me superhuman, frankly. I think it does. I have no kids, so I cannot empathise or, or, or understand that eclipse experience completely. I love being an auntie where I can just hand the children back. Oh, I bet but you do. You know what? All kudos to you, Amanda, for being what sounds like actually a, a very wonderful mother. I imagine that 
you know, you know, perhaps even inadvertently, it might not have been on purpose. I don't know. But I imagine you've taught your children a lot about inclusion and diversity and acceptance and accessibility and disability and all that stuff. I have, but I've also had my moments where I've been tearing my hair out. Um, yeah. Probably not acted appropriately <laughs> and so on and so forth. But I, I, I asked um, my youngest son recently, I had to, I was on a course and I had to, get people to say what the first word they thought of me was when when they think about me and yeah. he came up with authentic and I am living a, I'm on cloud nine about that but he then added remember he's 23 so he had to have the last <laughs> word yeah sometimes you're too authentic <laughs> can you ever be too authentic though that's what I said to him exactly I think that's a perfectly valid question <laughs> I, but I thought, actually, you know, he's 23 years old, so still in the stage where he thinks he's been there, done it, seen it, and got the video, and yet he thinks I'm authentic. So I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, I think, absolutely, it's a compliment. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm kind of at the stage now where I, because they're all adults now, he still lives with us because he's just come back from university, mm. But he's also got a disability. He was diagnosed with dyslexia when he was 15. Okay. And wanted to do English literature as a degree. Okay. And as a mother, I can remember saying, Max, really? Can you not pick something easier? Because yeah. as a mother, I feel very protective. Yeah. So he, he then got a 2-1 and went on to do a master's in digital literacy or something. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was something yeah. I've never heard of. Um, but, yeah. it, it, you know, so it just shows if you have that can-do attitude and you've got the right support, you can do anything. It, exactly. And it's kind of interesting because I think, I think what we've just been speaking about definitely um, pays into this idea of, of intersectionality. I'm very interested in the intersections that we live in because certainly in general, um, you know, we, we live at two points of, of intersection, which is being women and being disabled but you also have that added layer of being a mother which obviously you know not every woman is a mother whether Absolutely. through choice or not through choice um and you know what what has that kind of been like for you through that lens of disability well i was told when i was 12 that um i would never be a mother because i'm disabled and that was the only reason they gave Jeez, um, so yeah. i kind of just accepted that I would because a doctor tells you that kind of thing and yeah. you believe it don't you because you do. yeah. they should know kind of thing um so I believed it um all the way up until I met my husband and found myself pregnant at the age of 27 and I was like what the hell is this <laughs> I, I felt like an alien had taken over my I'm only four foot eight I'm very small yeah so I, I um I was kind of like this wasn't supposed to work. What? what? <laughs> I, and I, I mean, I'd also been told I wouldn't get married. And nobody would want me. You know, oh, I'd never yeah. achieve anything, all the usual stuff. And, and here I was at 27. And not only was I pregnant, but I then, I, I had to have cesareans because I was, I'm too small to do it. Yeah. yeah. Way. Thank goodness. Because I saw some of those women after they'd given birth naturally. And I was really glad I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I give birth to a boy and I've never had any experience of little boys. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was kind of, they are, they, uh, for me, they sum up my whole life. 
the hopes, the frustrations, everything. Um, because I was so keen to have children. And then I was told I couldn't and just accepted blithely that I couldn't. That yeah. um, when they came along, I, well, when the first one came along, I was kind of like, whoa, what's happened to me? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, because I had a boy, I wanted a little girl, which fortunately I got second time. Oh, good, yeah. And then my, and then my little Max came along. Um, and then I thought, right, you've done enough for the population explosion now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, that, that was the biggest, that they are my biggest achievement, I think. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful thing to say. I mean, it's one thing, you know, um, that obviously, you know, not having children, I can't really understand from that perspective. And, for me, it's certainly, it's not that I don't want children, but it's not that I really want children either. I'm one of those those women that kind of sit in the middle. It's like, well, if it happens, it happens. But if it doesn't, yeah, I'm okay with it kind of thing. Um, well, I'm so, one of those people, one of those annoying people who, if somebody says, no, Amanda, you can't, Amanda immediately finds a way to do it. To do that, it. Was <laughs> one thing, that was the one thing I had no control over, whether I had children or not. Yeah, yeah. It was so, just like... Um, yeah, it's happening, and it happened three times. <laughs> three times, yes. Um, and, you know, from that point of view, um, and they, growing up with a, a, mm. a mother who has a disability, they've mm. never thought anything, because I could walk before I was 45. Um, yeah. So I was very active and, you know, did, it, did everything in the house and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, drove them around and very fast normally. They mm. loved it. <laughs> um, uh, and now I don't drive anymore because I'm my foot spasms a lot and I'm frightened I'll have a crash okay um, so my hubby has to drive me around so my my world ostensibly shrank when I was 45 mm-hmm. but my my only desire at that point was please if there is a stronger being out there let me see my children um grow up and after I came out of hospital two weeks later my oldest son was 18 so I kind of thought thank you whoever you are up there thank you Um, so and now they're all grown up so exactly and you know what and and you know you're going to keep on seeing them grow and who knows there might be um a a grandchild in the future well I told I'm very vain because when I was um, when I was a child, I was always told, you know, little China doll, sit in the corner, look pretty, dress nicely, put your makeup on. I could do all those things. I couldn't do anything else when I left home. I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> I could not function with anything practical. I'm not brilliant now. My husband would tell you that, but yeah. I, I wasn't taught to do any of those things that make people independent. So I've made very sure that that my offspring. Are, are capable and two of them have got houses of their own now wow yeah they are capable of um you know cooking and cleaning and um going to the post office and all those other little things that we take for granted when we can do them yeah yeah um so yeah definitely the motherhood bit of me is very very important to me but as i've got older so is the the bit of me that is amanda do you see what i mean yeah yeah so, uh, you know, I, I cherish those bits and I'm, and right now I'm nurturing them. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing anything and everything that I possibly can to share 
my passion for inclusion and diversity um, and intersectionality, as you say, um, yeah. because it, it, for me, those those three things are very important. I also um, I write for the I'm the comms person for the Women's Equality Party in Milton Keynes as well. So I do a weekly blast for them. Okay. And I chair lots of um, yeah lots of things. So I'm very involved in the community, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I've spent most of my life exhausted. I have yeah. to say. <laughs> But, but I wouldn't have it any other way I, because I want to be useful. I want to be yeah. um, someone who demonstrates that if you want it badly enough, you'll find a way. And it's that I think, you know, you've, you've shown us all today that disability doesn't stop you from having a full life. Um, no, however, that, that full life looks for you. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I think that is the perfect spot to to finish our chat, Amanda. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the Conscious Being podcast. I think I'm going to have to get you back on again, maybe for the second series. So you're more than welcome to come back on again. I have a feeling we'll have loads more to chat about. But thank you so much for being an amazing guest. You are very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. for listening to the Conscious Being podcast. Did you know that you can support the Conscious Being publication and podcast on Patreon? As a publication, we aim to financially support our writers, but we need your help. With a monthly subscription through Patreon, you will contribute to our dream to pay our writers a fair industry fee for their work. All disabled people deserve fair pay, and we are a fair paying publication. Check out the link to Patreon in the show notes and we are grateful for any support you can give.